Do you care about supporting small business? I do. Do you care about supporting women in business? Man, I really do. Do you care about excellent customer service? I think it's a dying art and I really, really support it. That's why I support Paco Collars. They hit all of these bases and then some. My dogs wear gorgeous handcrafted leather collars from them and I get to support a company that I really believe in. So if you believe in the same stuff I do, get over to PacoCollars.com, order the best dog collar you've ever had with a lifetime guarantee, and don't forget to enter the promo code COGDOG for free shipping. Hey there, dog people of the internet. It's me, Sarah Strumming of the Cognitive Canine, and this is Cog Dog Radio, a podcast about all things dog sports and dog training. Join me as I explore my cases and considerations regarding the behavior of the dogs we live and play with. I hope you enjoy it. Hey, you guys, I've got Sarah Owings back on the podcast today, and we are going to talk about this fantastic poster, uh, kind of co-designed by Sarah and artist Lily Chin called A Dog's Emotional Cup. So Sarah, welcome to the podcast, and can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you've got going on right now? Sure. Hi, Sarah. Um, So uh, let's see, who am I? I am Sarah Owings, and... Right now, I've got a lot of going on, um, but the main thing that I'm focused on in my life, as always, is sort of a full-time uh, dedication to my two dogs, which a lot of the stuff on the poster is, is inspired by what I've learned uh, from them. But just professionally, um, I am busy uh, getting ready to teach for Clicker Expo next year already. Um, I am starting an in-person nosework class uh, starting Monday, which is really exciting. Uh, my first in-person nosework class. And then I am also teaching for Tromplo online. That class started today, and that's a whole class on rethinking impulse control. So tons of really exciting stuff going on. Lots of great things. I can't believe you're already getting ready for Clicker Expo. I mean, that makes sense, but it's shocking. <laughs> yeah, no, they've already they're already got us thinking right. ahead. Um, it's always hard for me because they're like, let's plan this six months in advance, and I'm like, I'm always like, in six months, I'm going to have a completely different um, way of thinking absolutely. about this. You know, absolutely. I've heard that from many a Clicker Expo faculty member that. They feel like their thoughts entirely change <laughs> in the six months leading up to Clicker Expo, and that can be rough. Um, and an in-person nosework class, that's very fun. That's very exciting. Yes, yeah. So we get to focus on what I, I love. My specialty is bringing the worlds of clicker training and nosework together. And so I found a group of people that want to geek out like that. So I'm very excited. So cool. I mean, I went to your talk about nose work um, at Clicker Expo in January. And for me, that was the first time that I was like, oh, wow, nose work is really cool. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So that's really exciting that you get to do that. And the Trompo class, um, I actually need to get on and sign up for that because that's totally an area that I'm really excited about. 
uh, rethinking all of those quote unquote impulse control behaviors that um, dog training seems to be kind of obsessed with at times. Yeah. Oh, that would be great to have you. Yeah. It's, it's looking fantastic so far. I just, I just got to meet some of the new premium students today and they're all, they all have the, this great mindset already. I mean, I don't, they've, they pretty much already got where they need to be that they just want someone to help them practice. Yeah. Um, really, really great when you already have the buy-in and then you guys can just dive in to the good stuff. Yeah. But it <laughs> just makes, it, it's just exciting for me. Cause when you, you know, you put out the call around the world. These are people in Poland and Sweden and all over the United States. And all of these people are in sync with one another now in terms of wanting to really dig deep and think more deeply about all this training stuff. So I'm just, I'm just thrilled. It's really cool. And actually it segues nicely into talking about this poster because I also think that more and more the dog community at large is caring about these things and kind of the idea of meeting the dog's needs in a kind of holistic way before we, you know, jump in and try to modify behavior. Um, so why, what led to, what's the inspiration behind the poster, A Dog's Emotional Cup? Okay. So, um, it was started with just a Facebook post that my friend John McGuigan put out. Um, and he was, he was thinking about human mental health and human healing and uh, the original poster came from a, a website called upbility.net. Um, and it was about filling a child's emotional cup. And uh, I don't know if people know this about me, but I used to work with young children as well. So the original poster really resonated uh, on a lot of levels. And it just talked a lot about, um, you know, ways that the, the misbehavior that children sometimes do are often a way for that child to say, hey, you know, my cup is empty. I'm doing all these things uh, to try and get what I need. Um, and it, it sort of reframed that whole idea of instead of trying to correct the behavior or modify the behavior, it was like, let's think of it as a need that's not being met. So I, I said something like, we need a dog version of this. And my wonderful friend, Lily Chin, was also reading the same thread. And she, she said, I'll do it. You just write the words and I'll make uh, the pictures. And she did a beautiful job because uh, I'm very wordy. So I just sent her a bucket load of <laughs> words. And I'm yeah. like, there's no way you can get all this on one page. And she, she really managed it. I mean, we had to kind of hone the language quite a bit. Um, and the goal was to try and make it accessible. Um, but still behaviorally sound. So instead of labels, we were trying really hard to talk about behaviors, um, things like that. So I I'm just really excited. And it just has taken off. People have loved it and then spreading it all over. I think it's been downloaded many, many, many times. And that makes me really happy because it just means lots of people are out there really willing to embrace this idea. and. Um, I've even followed on several threads, like, you know, regular pet owners going, I don't know what this, this bullet point means. How do I do it? And then having great advice being given, you know, on like how to increase reinforcement in your dog's life. And um, so absolutely. I, yeah, we should get into the nitty gritty as we go. Yeah, I, it's, it's lovely. And Lily, you guys, if you if you think you don't know the name Lily Chin, you do know her work because her um, 
doggy drawings is what they're called. And she's done all of these amazing posters um, on dog body language and different training concepts and different training techniques. And um, she's just, she's very talented. And this poster just so sums up so much of what I am trying to talk about so frequently. So one of the um, little boxes on the poster has these bullet points that are signs that your dog may be coping with an empty cup. And we're kind of using this cup metaphor as kind of their their overall wellness um, being either kind of full or empty. Um, and some of the bullets would be, you know, hoarding, hoarding resources, um, overreacting, maybe restlessness, maybe a slow recovery from exciting things. I know, you know, a lot of my clients have agility dogs who um, might have some behavioral fallout following uh, agility competitions. And that's definitely something that is addressed on the poster. Um Let's see, escalating behaviors to get something or get away from something. I think that's a great bullet because I think we don't often think of their behaviors as trying to either acquire or avoid, but they pretty much are either in in one of those categories. Um, Increased grumpiness and intense social appeasement. Yeah, so all of these, those are kind of your signs that maybe we want to go into you know, refilling that cup. So do you want to talk about um, the things that refill the cup? Sure. Um, but before I, I dive into that, like one, a couple of things I like to point out about with that signs your dog may be coping um, mm-hmm. is that one, it's, it's, it's important to be careful of labels. Like we have, we have the word sort of overprotective, which is sounds mm-hmm. a little bit like a label. Um, and so we do try really hard to be careful about that. So if, but if you notice it, it's sort of out of character or it's, it's the behavior is like a really big reaction when the context is really a warrants, a small reaction. And that's happening, especially if it's out of character, right? That's not normally how your dog behaves. But today when your housemate dogs walk by, your dog just explodes. And, and that's something you want to keep, you know, pay attention to. Um, because those are, those are signs. It's very much the same thing as if you've had a really long day at work and I don't know, maybe your boss yelled at you and then you had traffic on the way home and then, you know, and then you get back, you get home and your spouse says, would you please take out the garbage? And you're like, no, you know, and you you just, it's exactly like that. It's if you keep emptying that cup, um, what happens is those small moments that are just everyday stressors become huge things. So you just want to keep an eye out for those. And the key point there is the idea of overreacting because reacting to things is normal. Right. Um, And, you know, protecting your stuff is normal, pretty normal. Um, So a lot of times people, I don't want people to be confused between their dog doing kind of a normal thing, like a normal communication and their dog really expressing uh, that they're stressed out and they just have had it, right? So that's just things, little nuances that are hard to put on a poster. Um, so it's that's one, one reason I wanted to come on the show was to just, you know, delve into some of those nuances and make sure people are thinking a little bit deeply, even though, even though, even though you're, you have a list of bullet points. Um, Yeah. And I think it's really, it is important. I think you did a good job 
of, you know, we as dog trainers were always kind of trying to walk the line between not um, overusing labels, but also explaining things to people in a concise way, um, which is where that's why labels exist um, is so that we can use one word instead of 10 to try to explain something to somebody. Um, right. But they can be so dangerous because one person's interpretation is different from the next person's interpretation. Um, and yeah, I like, I really like to me the phrase overreacting, um, rather than just kind of saying the dog is quote unquote reactive saying, you know, in this moment that this behavior, this reaction does not fit the context. And when you're seeing something like that, then yes, that could be a sign that your dog is coping with kind of not having all of their needs addressed. Right, right. Um, one a- example my, my dog Zoe taught me years ago was, um, you know, back then, if you looked at it, you would think I was doing everything right. I, I was taking her to four classes a week. She had this enriched life. All the classes were positive reinforcement. I took her hiking. I did all, the, you know, and I was trying as hard as I could to be a good pet owner, right? And give her all this stuff. And and usually the other extreme is what people are dealing with, right? They don't have time. Their dogs never get out of the house. But I was doing all this stuff and still my dog had an empty cup. And the way she started to tell me was, you know, I would get the training bag organized and she would go lay down. And then mm-hmm. I'd have to coax her to the door. And then I'd have to coax her to put her harness on. And then when I got out to the car, she wouldn't get in the car. And this would kind of, this started happening chronically. Like I thought she was sick. I, you know, I went through all these question marks, but as soon as I would get her home again, she would brighten up and Mm -hmm. look happy and normal and playful. And, and it took me a while. It honestly took me a while to realize it was like taking an introvert to a party every single day. And my dog was just telling me, this is not, this is not how you fill my cup. Like, (laughs) this is not, you know, you think you're being a super mom and a super trainer, but this is not what I need. And she actually taught me that she thrives staying home a lot more, but she loves, what she loves is one-on-one attention. She loves uh, training. She loves definitely anything that involves getting access to food. (laughs) That's, that's her favorite, her favorite thing. So once I started filling her life with those things, uh, her whole demeanor changed, and she did. She became more resilient. Um, you know, she recently had to go to a very stressful vet visit with an ultrasound. You know, where the dogs are held yeah. upside down for fifteen oh, yeah. minutes, and yeah. I didn't have time to really train her to do this properly. Uh, but luckily, I got to be in the room with her, and as soon as it was over, she was back to normal. Like she was offering her behavior. She was. It was, it was beautiful to see like this, it didn't throw her for the whole day. Like it used to, you know, in the old days it would have been taken her weeks to recover. Um, so it's like that. So that kind of ties me into your question, which is what are the things that fill a cup? Um, and definitely that first thing to think about is it's absolutely unique for every dog. Mm -hmm. So, um, for one dog, you know, going out every day and having an off-leash adventure time with other dogs would be the perfect thing. Um, right. But for another dog that, even if they're coping, like even if they're like not getting aggressive or anything, they're coping with it, but you notice other behaviors like shutting down when you try to put their leash on or 
you know, that's the kind of thing you've got to really watch out for. Uh, And sometimes the dogs that look like uh, the adventure dogs that just always seem to be psyched for the next big, exciting thing, you have to be careful with them too, uh, because sometimes they don't know their own limits. Um, but you'll know, you'll notice later on that they are not sleeping through the night or they're more, they're barking at noises or you'll start to notice other changes in their life. Um, and you might think, Hey, you know, he, my dog has had five really exciting outings this week. You know, maybe we better balance that out. So that's the first thing is to always think about what is, uh, unique to your dog And then the other thing I love about the list, I mean, we have on the poster, we have sort of the basic things like doing dog things. So getting access to things that dogs like to do, sniffing. So just letting your dog sniff on a walk, that's huge. And it's such a small thing. Like if you just walk a little more slowly and let your dog sniff, that would be huge. Um, And then just regular stuff, opportunities to chew and forage. And I even put on the list, you know, barking and digging. Um, things that we don't necessarily like to live with. I love that you had a whole podcast recently on barking. Um, but, <laughs> yes. you know, barking is communication. And if we make our dogs be, you know, shut up all the time, you might be missing a need, right? Um, so things like that. Um, definitely being included in the family. And I, I included in this list dogs or humans. So mm-hmm. I have met some dogs where it's all about being with their humans all the time. And other dogs I've met that it's really, they thrive when they have other dogs around. Um, so it's not specific to just family or, you know, some dogs thrive when they get to be in the barn with the, the animals they grew up with. So family, but just being belonging um, and freedom to move. In any way you can make that happen, because I think dogs live their lives under such constraints all the time. Totally, you know, sh- totally. Sh- short leashes, small apartments, small yards, fences, and if we could just find ways to give them more freedom, uh, huge. It makes a huge difference. And then you know, freedom to make choices. So maybe not controlling them all the time, micromanaging their every movement. Um, and sometimes the easiest way to let a dog make a choice is to just give them time. So just wait and go, Mm -hmm. do they want to go to the left or the right rather than you just walk or, you know, or just simple little moments where you go, how do you feel about this right now? And wait for their answer. Uh, that's a wonderful way to start including more choice, uh, in your day-to-day interactions with them. Um, even putting on a harness, I like to hold them out and go, are you ready for this? How do you feel? And my dogs will tell me with their behavior when they're ready for the harness to be put over their heads, um, things like that. Um, uh, let's see, we had ability to control outcomes and get reinforcers. Uh, that's a really important one. Yeah. So uh, important. Yeah. I think that's disregarded a little bit too often, um, that control over our own outcomes is a primary need that we all have. Yeah. And we don't, I don't think that we provide that to dogs near enough. Right. Well, we have a lot of cultural fog out there about mm-hmm. we, we have to control them. They right. don't control things. Um, and so it's, it's a really important uh, mindset shift to just, and, and it's sort of like with young children, it's within the boundaries of what's safe, right? right. Um, you know, like with kids, like, a really great way to give kids choice and control is to say, okay, uh, tomorrow you 
you know, you have to put clothes on to go to school. Um, you know, some kids want to go to school in their pajamas, but if they have to wear clothes, you say you're, you get to pick the outfit you want, or these are three, three different shirts. You pick the one and it puts Mm -hmm. a parameter around it. So it's, it's safe and appropriate, but that child still gets to make the choice. Um, you know, in fact, there's a little digression, but I heard the saddest conversation at the market the other day with this woman with her kids and they were in the, you know, the ice cream aisle with like 5,000 mm-hmm. ice cream <laughs> choices, you know, and the mom marches her kids to this one spot and she's telling them in no uncertain terms that they need to pick the ice cream that has no sugar in it because that is what she would prefer. That's what she said. But then she said, okay, so what's your choice then? And she set it up like a choice, but there was no choice. And the kid immediately picked something that wasn't not what, you know, not with sugar. And then they got into this huge fight. And it was the saddest thing I'd ever heard because that was so, you know, I mean, if it's not a choice, then you shouldn't frame it that way, right? <laughs> um, yeah, it's a know? big, big deal. If there is no choice, then don't. Don't ask the question. Don't provide the, don't provide like a false uh, choice scenario because it's so damaging. Um, it's, I mean, it's damaging to children in really deep, profound ways. And then with dogs, I think it just kind of, it. not only are you withholding the choice, but you're really damaging. Um, I think it's so important for me to be very clear with my dogs when they do have a choice right. versus when they don't. Yep. So that, you know, with, you know, for lack of better words, so that they trust me mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. when I'm saying, you know, this you have to do, but this you don't. Yep. yep. Yeah. Yeah. I do the same thing. I mean, the simplest thing is like every once in a while, Tucker doesn't want to get in the car because uh, getting in the car means the end of all the adventure and fun that he does really love. And so lots of days we get into this conversation about getting in the car and if it's safe and I have time and everything, I say, okay, fine, this is a choice. Um, But other days, like we're at a trial, for example, he has to get in the car. Um, That's usually, I just have a very clear way of just communicating that. And I just say, you know, sorry, bud. And I'll just stand there with the leash and I don't pull him, but I just make it clear that I will be ready to reinforce him when he's ready to get in, but we're not going to go do anything else. Um, and it, yeah. it really helps him because if it's confusing, um, then he doesn't know what condition he's in. Right. Um, yeah. And then, then the confusion is what causes a lot of the, the problem behaviors. Right. Um, so absolutely. So yeah, definitely. Um, and then we just had basic stuff on this list. I, I, I put unconditional love and attention. I think this is a really important one. Um, we seem to have moved as a community well past the nothing in life is free thing. Um, but I mean, I hope it, so. <laughs> it, seems to be, it seems to be dead. Nobody talks about it anymore. Um, uh, but it, it was such a strong thing when I was sort of coming coming of age as a trainer, it was mm-hmm. the dominant paradigm was nothing in life is free. Um, and so it's real easy to slip back into that of, you know, oh, you want my attention? You better sit first. Um, you have to do something for me all the time to get what you want. Um, and I, I think it's totally great to use reinforcement, right? And let behavior work. 
But if you're always kind of in this weird sort of thing where you're pressuring the dog in order to, because you're trying to follow this rule, I, I think it take, I think it empties the cup. I think it takes a. Absolutely. I think, and yeah. I think that it has a negative effect on our cup as well, which is basically the premise of Kathy Sedeo's book on, on the whole thing. Um, right. Plenty in Life is three, Free. She really talks about what that does to the human half as well. Mm-hmm. When the affection between you and your dog has all of these rules on it, um, it can be damaging for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why I included it as a, a place. And I love that you pointed that out. It, it When you some people might look at this poster and think, oh my gosh, it's it's completely about, you know, the dogs come first and the humans don't matter anymore or the human needs don't matter. That's actually not what happens. When you really, I find, when you really embrace this stuff in a deep way, it comes mm-hmm. back to you. Like this, I think so. It, it, it fills your cup because your dogs are now c- connecting with you on a healthy level, they're expressing themselves to you. They're, they're being their own goofy selves, which is usually delightful and enjoyable. Yeah. You know, even when they're doing the naughty things, there are times where you just look at them and you're like, Oh my God, that's hilarious or whatever. And it, it brings joy. And if you can kind of get out of that mindset of like, Oh my gosh, my dog is misbehaving or I'm not, I'm not being a good pet owner and I have to control him and he has to shut up. And uh, that can that can create this sort of nagging cycle, um, and you do see that a lot. It, anywhere I go, I go to trials a lot, and I watch people with their dogs, and and there are relationships that feel like condition, totally unconditional love, right? You just see it between the dog and the person, mm-hmm. and there are relationships where you feel like, oh my gosh, you're both you're both sort of bracing against each other because of all yeah. the the nagging and the, you know, it's, and it's sad because you, it, you can really see the difference. You so. can. And I, I have been having a lot of conversations along these lines right now um, about how, when we recognize their needs, like this unconditional love and attention, like t- freedom to move time outside, things like that, and we start to give them those things, it almost, it just kind of opens the door and gives us permission to give ourselves those things too, which is, these are things that we need also. Mm-hmm. But I think it's easy for us to, it's just really easy for us to tell ourselves that our needs don't matter or don't count. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me, you know, the fact that my dogs really, really thrive on off-leash exercise. Um, and I also really thrive on being outside with them away from kind of the city. Um, it just goes both ways. It's really, you find yourself in a healthier place as well as you try to help them fill their cup, yours gets filled up as well. Right. And I think that's just a great point. Um, because it feels wonderful. If you feel like doing all this stuff for your dog is depleting your cup, you're probably doing it wrong. Like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, it probably needs some examination for yeah, sure. Exactly. Like, like me taking my dog Zoe to all those classes. Um, you know, I wanted her to be happy, but the yeah. more she wasn't happy, the more stress I felt and that I wasn't doing a good job. And that's something I do tell the, my pet owner clients. I say, you know, if you are doing something with your dog 
and you come home feeling really stressed out, right? That's probably not good for either of you. Like it's probably, you know, you might think you're exercising your dog properly or something, but if you come home stressed or you spent the whole walk scared to death that, you know, your dog was going to see another dog or something, maybe look at that because your dog is feeling the same way. And that's sort of a good way to kind of figure out what is the right type of choice for your dog or not is kind of monitor yourself. If you're feeling joy and relaxation um, and, you know, that you felt your cup is being filled, it's probably good for your dog. And it might be something really simple, like just go out on the patio with your dog every day and snuggle in the sunshine together. Like it doesn't have to be these big events um, all the time. So absolutely. It's an important thing. Yeah, very, very true. And um, so we've really, we've looked a lot at what refills the cup. Um, And one thing that we kind of skirted around a bit, but I want to dive in is this concept of, I think we're all a little bit obsessed with having a quote unquote good dog. (laughs) (laughs) Right. They need to be perfectly behaved and perfectly trained. Um, What are your thoughts on that? Well, uh, I, to put it bluntly, I, I say screw good. Uh, yes. we, we just screw that idea. It's like perfect. I think last web podcast we did, we, we said screw perfect. So let's, yes, we did. <laughs> let's just screw good because we have, a, again, a lot of cultural fog. You know, a good dog is a tired dog, not necessarily. Yeah. Um, right. You know, some dogs need more exercise than others and exercise is good. But if you just think, is my dog exhausted to the point of being in a coma? maybe not so good, uh, but that's, maybe not. yeah. So uh, what are, what are the other good dogs? A good dog is obedient that all the time, always like yep. that's going to set you up for those situations where what if your dog says no, or your dog can't handle something, are you going to escalate because he has to be obedient? Now you're in the place where you're emptying cups, you know, you're, you're draining your relationship cup. Um, so, you know, do, do, Good dogs are not always obedient, actually. Um, <laughs> and yeah. and then let's see what good dogs are calm, submissive, which most of us have let that go. But it's still a pretty prevalent idea. It fits with sort of the good dogs yeah. kind of seen and not heard. Um, they, they don't make their needs known. They don't tell you what they want. They don't express themselves. Um, and if you have that mindset of that's what a good dog is, um, it, it's you are missing a lot. Like you're, you're missing out on a, on what a, what a dog is in my opinion, (laughs) but, but it's a strong, um, kind of a, you know, idea out there culturally is that's what a good dog is. Um, so yeah, I just say screw all that and let it go. Um, and think more about what does happy look like for your dog, for your individual dog. Um, because happy dogs are very likely going to have better coping skills and notice I don't stress that they're perfect at all times. My dogs are certainly not perfect at all times, but I spend so much of my time and energy just doing things with them that I know they love so that mm-hmm. when they have to deal with something stressful or something startles them or they really bounce back quickly. They come back with this robust kind of coping strategies. Usually their coping strategies involve kind of connecting with me and sort of shifting back into happy training mode. Um, and that's usually what happens for us because we spend hours and hours and hours refilling that cup all the time. So 
um, you know, the occasional uh, drain, that the occasional moment. I don't know. Like the other day I had Tucker out and his one, he's so good now, but the one thing that's really hard for him is uh, surprise appearances of dogs around corners. And yeah. we had a, not only a surprise appearance, but it was a little barky mini poodle, you know, yeah. and it was, and everything was safe. We, everybody was on leash. And that in the old days would have been a huge explosive moment, like just blah. Now I haven't actually been working on this as a specific plan. Like I haven't gone out and done like staged poodle sightings you know, 50 times a day and practice, but we, you know, Tucker and I practice just connecting his recalls, uh, orienting to me, coming to me, eating food. And, you know, in the old days when he was like that, he couldn't eat, but all I had to do was be like, Tucky come. And he was like, Oh boy. And he comes running and we go and he completely recovers like that. Now he would not have been able to do that three years ago. So, um, that's the kind of thing I don't, I don't really wor- work on it as much as I should probably. But the fact that what we do work on builds that coping skill, uh, it's there when we need it. So, um, so yeah, there's just, there's so much good stuff here. Well, and let's say you did work on it constantly, but you didn't work on filling his cup, right? You're still not going to have the results that you're after. And I think a lot of people get, you know, in my world, which is more sport dog training, I think people, man, they they train agility so hard and they don't work on filling the dog's cup. And then they wonder why the dog can't cope with the trial environment when they go right. to run. You know, now we've got all kinds of problems. The dog can't stay on the start line. They blow past the weave poles, et cetera, et cetera. Maybe they get snarky with dogs outside the ring. Um And I think, you know, it's important to emphasize that sometimes the best way to your goal is not the direct path to the goal, but instead filling all of the needs that surround the goal. Yeah, Um, I love that. And I've let that happen. And your example with Tucker is perfect because, you know, that's something that he came to you with and instead of, you know, diving in on some behavior modification on that, that you worked super hard on day in and day out, you focused really, really hard. Like his whole journey with you has been focusing really hard on having him be a functional house companion because his cup is full (laughs) rather than, um, you know, rather than we're going to go out four times a day and seek out little barky dogs and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. I think that that comes back to that perfectionism thing that, you know, if you let that go, if you let the idea that the dog will eventually be quote unquote perfect, if you just are perfect and train and train and train, if you let that go and focus on both of you, just having your emotional cup be full, you'd be amazed then what results from that. Right. Exactly. And that, um, Another thing that really appealed to me about this is um, after years of doing dog pet, mostly pet owner consults, um, Mm -hmm. I I did get weary of this sort of fix it mentality, which is, you know, call the dog trainer like you call a plumber. You know, your dog barks at other dogs. I want that fixed. 
that's the thing. We're no longer, I don't want to think about these other things. And, and, you know, I've met, I've had many wonderful pet owners too, that really embraced this and were, and it was transformative for their lives and their dog's lives. But I did get weary of that feeling of, of, I am not a plumber. And I think that's the, not always the best approach, um, for any learner, um, to just kind of go in with a sense of like, I'm going to put a bandaid on this. Um, or I'm only going to think about you in this one little context, even though it's really important to think about context in terms of um, where do the problem behaviors happen? Because if you constantly right. put your dog in that context, like every day, and then expect them to change their behaviors, it's that's another way of emptying that cup is they're just overwhelmed daily. Um, I don't know, like walking your dog through a park filled with squirrels. And if your big issue is that your dog loses his mind and you go that, you take that route every day, that is just, you're both going to be exhausted and stressed every day and, and angry, you know, you're going to be pissed at your dog every day because they jerked on the leash or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, So understanding that context and you can decide just avoid the context. That's a really easy way to do it. Or if you can't, then you have to think about, I would say my strategy nowadays would be avoid the context, <laughs> build, enrich the cup, fill the cup as much as you possibly can. Uh, and this is sort of an oblique strategy. It's how much enrichment can you provide? Uh, really focus on the context where your dog thrives. So do, mm-hmm. have you identified those? Uh, can you put your energy and time into that? Get that really going, get it really full. And then if you decide that some of those contexts are unavoidable, then you have a nice, healthy dog that's ready to learn the skill that you need. And I would always try and do my behavior modification that way. Um, But it is kind of a, what do you call it, the long game. You have to play the long game sometimes. Um, And it doesn't come in, in, you know, three sessions with the trainer on Saturdays sometimes. Yeah, I compared it to um, going to the dentist when I was talking to a client about it or a colleague about it the other day that I think, and I'm definitely guilty of this because I hate the dentist, but when you go, (laughs) when you go because your tooth hurts, Mm -hmm. they can fix that one tooth, but they're also going to tell you, and also you got to floss. And you got to come in here every six months for a cleaning and you have to, you know, you have to do all of these things. Um, Otherwise you're just going to come back to us with another painful tooth. Right. And so when I think about dog training, we can go about it. We can just fix every tooth as it shows up or we can focus on kind of the overall um, situation and filling their cup is you know, (laughs) brushing and flossing and going to the dentist regularly. Whereas I think, you know, yeah, it gets really, it gets really tired um, as a dog trainer when you just consistently have the people who just want you to fix the next tooth. Right. Um, And, and it's, I feel for them because it's hard and they have, you know, we have such busy lives now. And when you say to them, okay, great, you know, we can address this tooth, but also the reason the tooth is rotten in the first place is all of this. And can we also address all of this? And when you've got those, 
when you have clients who say, yeah, let's, you know, let's address the rest of it and they embrace it and they go, something really amazing happens then. And not just for the dogs. Cause like we said, their wellness is affected too. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, it's the broader mission. It's the bigger thing that we can do as professionals. Yes. Yes. No, I, I love, and I love that you keep bringing that back because that's such an important piece. And And I think we talked about it last podcast. If you don't, if you're empty, you can't provide yeah. this, you can't provide uh, unconditional love because you don't have it, you know? Um, yeah. And so sometimes if, let's say you, you're, oh, you're, you're feeling too stressed out and overwhelmed and you just can't provide any of this for your dog that day, um, you know, think of the simplest thing and then go take care of yourself. Like, because that actually will yeah. help your dog um, tomorrow. It'll help your dog the next day. Um, but the simple, there's so many, like I said, simple ways to do this. Um, you know, I mean, there's, it's just endless in terms of slowing things down, letting your dog choose more, um, just giving your dog attention when they ask for it, uh, before they have to scream at you. Usually that's a sign if your dog is really escalating to get what they need. Um, that's a sign that they're chronically not getting their needs met in my, in my uh, experience, but it, yeah. it's not that hard sometimes to just put your computer down for five minutes and just go have a snuggle. And many dogs are like, good, I'm good. I'm satisfied. And they'll go back to sleep. Um, but you know, if you yeah. ignore that dog and then half an hour later, they're starting to bark and then they start tearing up your stuff and then you're mad and you get up and yell at them and then you try to ignore them again. And then it, it and then that just becomes this crazy cycle where, uh, you end up with really hard behaviors to live with. Um, whereas frequently I find if I just give the little snuggle for like a couple minutes or get a toy out and play for five minutes, uh, mm-hmm. I swear the whole rest of the day is easy. And then I feel f- like, you know, I can get my stuff done and I, I don't know, it's just so, it doesn't, I want to stress that it, it doesn't have to be, um, you know, taking your dog to 50 training classes or becoming a super trainer or anything like that. Um, it does require listening to your dog. That's the big thing. Um, and that can be a little hard sometimes in our busy lives. It's just to kind of slow down and listen. Yes. Um, but again, so healthy for us right. <laughs> to try to learn how to do. Um, right, right. I think you, I mean, you've just hit on a lot of these bullets of what empties the cup, um, like being, being set up to fail or, or no preparation for challenging situations. I think that's a big one. Um, right. And I think it's important to note that like a lot of these things are going to happen, like you said, mm-hmm. but if their cup is already full, they can take a little bit of emptying. Um, like when Zoe had to have the ultrasound, that's definitely a cup emptying stressful scenario but she bounced back because her cup is full on a daily basis. Right. Um, I think that's so important. It's not about being perfect every day. We can't really, ex- we cannot say that enough. It's not about that. It's about filling that cup up over time so that when these things happen, the dog's able to come back from it. Right, right. Um, and yeah, that, that bullet point of like what, an emptying cup thing would be no preparation for challenging situations. And there's a lot of times that that happens to dogs. Like maybe a dog yes. is not very 
uh, not very experienced with other dogs yet, and you take them to a really busy dog park. That's setting that dog up for, I mean, maybe you could be lucky and you get a dog that can figure that out. But if they're not really ready for that, if they haven't had just maybe play dates with uh, really stable friends for a while and really learn some dog skills or whatever, um, or I don't know, you get a new puppy and you then you suddenly have a dinner party with 25 people. All that be there. We do this kind of stuff all the time. And those are situations where I always like to say, well, is my dog prepared for this? And if the answer is no, then I usually try and find a way that my dog doesn't have to deal with it. That's usually my strategy. So if I want to have a huge dinner party, I'll find my, I'll get a babysitter to come take my dogs out for the day because that's, and that's not, cause that's not fun for me to have to worry about them stealing food or whatever it is I haven't taught them in that context. Yeah. We're getting into uh, barbecue season. Uh-huh. I feel like when I, when I used to work with um, pet owners in their homes, I got a ton of calls during the summer mm-hmm. about incidents that occurred when the people had a barbecue and they had a bunch of people over and they had, you know, maybe even their friends brought their dogs over. And now suddenly your dog is asked to be in this challenging situation that he maybe doesn't know how to be in. Um, and it's sometimes a matter of picking picking what's going to empty the cup less because social isolation is certainly um, on the list of what empties a dog's cup, mm-hmm. but might be better than being forced to be at the barbecue, <laughs> depending on who your dog is. Right. Um, right. And so I think it's just important to just make those choices for them. And rather than just going forward and not consciously making choices for them, know that it's up to you to make these choices for them. And so you try to decide, okay, what, what are they going to be able to bounce back from best? Right. Right. I had a client once. I I did love this person. They, they did want to have a big dinner party and they didn't want to send their dog away because she, she didn't do very well, like in daycares or anything. So we thought about it and thought about it. And they said, hey, we'll just hire you and you spend the, you come and be with the dog. And that way the dog gets 100% of someone's attention while we're all busy running around being sociable. And that worked beautifully. So the dog had me and I could keep her out of trouble and reinforce her. And I could remove her when she got too excited and I could keep her entertained. And so she got to actually learn how to be in that situation, but with support. Um, so that was a great solution. Um, and, yeah, win-win. Yeah, so things like that. There's so many creative ways to just, if you just plan, you go, okay, this situation is probably going to be overwhelming. What is my plan? And sometimes the plan is really simple. Right. Like for my guys, sometimes I'm like, they are staying in the car. You know, the car, yeah. my car is super tricked out and they are very happy in the car. They are very relaxed. and. So if I'm in a situation where I don't think they're going to do well and I can't take them home, they stay in the car. Um, So things like that. There's just so many ways to think through how to support your dog so that you don't get them in a depleting situation. But then if you do make a mistake or it's unavoidable, which life happens, then you have this lovely list. And that's something I do a lot too. I go, hey, that was really probably pretty depleting. 
situation mm-hmm. or this whole day was stressful or, you know, I meant for, I meant for this outing to be fun, but it was like, there were t- so many dogs and I'm stressed out. And my, I'll say, okay, the next three days we are going to prioritize the sort of the balancing activity. So we might stay home for three days and just do uh, the things that are co- kind of soothing and enriching, but not so stimulating. I might do, I might balance it out like that. Um, that's something, so it's always like a choice you can make in terms of just what's going on for your dog or after a major trial, you know, when Tucker does a major nose work trial, you know, he loves nose work. It is one of his passions. It fills his cup, but he has to travel. He has to get in that van. He has to deal with all the other dogs. It's, I mean, there's a lot going on. So we, we schedule pajama days, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. I stay in my pajamas and the dogs stay home. Um, and we just do chewing and puzzle toys and, you know, Tucker has a lot of play. He and I do a lot of play that we love, um, that is not high impact play. It's right. So, uh, he can have a high impact play at other times, but for pajama days, we get out Mr. Purple and we roll around together in our pajamas (laughs) and that's super important. Um, and he's actually really, really relaxed on those days, even when he doesn't get his major run or his hiking or his, you know, um, so it's just, it's just good stuff. I'm so glad that you are uh, spreading the word and, and I'm glad to, to get more people on this bandwagon because I think it's a really healthy one. Absolutely. And that's why, um, it's so great that you and Lily collaborated and made this. So, if you are ready to close her up, I'm going to say where um, we can find this and how we can support our friend Lily Chin. Um, yeah, so li- li- is, it's doggydrawings.net. Yeah, doggydrawings.net. Um, Lily does a lot of, uh, she sells a lot of her work. She does portraits. You could have her do a portrait of your dog. But she also has a section on her website where she has tons of free stuff. She's so, so generous. Yeah. Um, and she just she just suggests there's a place if you wanted to make a donation that would be awesome. Um, but this stuff is this this poster is uh, for free, so you can download it at doggydrawings.net. Yes, and I it's such a great thing as well as so many of her different things to put up in veterinary offices, training centers, um, things like that. So I really encourage anybody. Um, kind of the last time that I was operating in a physical location we had her stuff all over the walls yeah and it's just it's really appealing the art is just it makes people smile um and it's just great and she's really good at framing everything in a way that um everybody can relate to um so it's it's great lily does great work so yeah the poster is called a dog's emotional cup um and it's on doggydrawing.net um, and it was inspired by a poster from Upbility called The Emotional Cup as well. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Sarah, for coming on the podcast. This oh, was thank you, Sarah. I really, really enjoyed it. Thanks for listening to Cog Dog Radio. If you have questions or suggestions, shoot them over to cogdogradio at gmail.com. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to like the Cog Dog Radio Facebook page, and until next time, happy training!